Hello and welcome to another edition of The Tigers Down Under. I'm your host as always, Alex, and with me tonight I have Brad. Good evening. It's been a little while between drinks and a bit's happened on and off the field for the club, but we'll dive right into the game just past against Norwich, where unfortunately we saw yet again, uh, it's becoming a trend this season, a pretty late goal giving up a lead or giving up points for the Tigers. Uh, 96th minute of uh, five minutes at a time to uh, cancel out Dicko's opener in the first half. So, Brad, what did you make of the game and uh, whether it was a justified result? Um, Well, I think it's it's always justified if you can give up a goal sort of that sloppy in the last with the last kick of the game so to speak um, then you don't deserve to win um, we obviously had our controversy through the game and then obviously digging in with 10 men was uh, was always going to make life difficult but I think probably the only thing that you know, was the difference between being a, a top four team on the day and a team that's always going to struggle is that if you concede a late goal like that and not just a um, a goal that was very opportunistic. It, it sort of covered off the first, oh, I think it was two or three crosses before then. We yeah. almost defended them pretty sloppily. So, um, look, one thing City's good at is breaking our hearts. And again, uh, with sort of the last play of a game, we still can't pick that up, that away win. Uh, and what did you make of Marlon's red card? You sort of touched on it there. It seems as if the foul itself that gave him the second yellow was probably a little bit undeserved, but perhaps as a as an aggregation of all of the little niggles he'd had around the ground? Yeah, look, I think that's probably the best way to sum it up. I think uh, if, if, you, if you look at that second challenge um, on its own, it's probably just a yellow, just. Um, but I think it was an obvious one when you look at... Like you said, the, the sort of constant niggling and, and carry on, and it, it was probably something the referee had to do something on. Plus, I do think the way the way probably Myler played <laughs> for the time he was on anyway, um, the first challenge was was bad enough that the ref would probably think, Do you know what, this guy needs to but he blow someone over, and I'm going to have to send him off. Yeah. So. Do you think there's also a bit of blame that perhaps goes to Slutsky for not taking him off sooner? I mean, uh, there's sort of... I, I think with Myler we've come to expect if he's um, low on fitness, if he's getting tired in a game, his tackles can become a bit wilder, a bit more clumsy. His passing is off a little bit as well. So for various reasons, there was a lot of motivation. He had Kevin Stewart sitting on the sideline, pumped up, ready to come on, who looked quite good when he did come on in the end. Uh, that Perhaps Slutsky could have made the move a bit earlier. Look, look, he might have, um, but I mean, in in, in the end, uh, you, you've come unstuck with effectively the last play of the game. And as much as, in hindsight, Stuart coming on could have maybe scored a second one, put it away, I don't know. But I think probably the only thing that we'd say is that Myler's only really got one type of combative play. And uh, he's not going to shirk a challenge, nor is he going to go in half-assed because he thinks he's already on a yellow. So probably in the scheme of things, I don't think it would have mattered. Our defensive nature in that last five minutes was sloppy at best. Um, And I don't think it would have mattered if we had 11 men or 10 men. The ball would have managed to land over three of us and onto the foot of a Norwich player no matter what happened. 
Uh, and what about Dicko's opening goal for the season? Um, Henriksen playing a lovely through ball for him as well, so it's a positive for those two players, really. Uh, and it's a really lovely finish as well. It's very similar to the goal that Campbell scored against Reading in many ways, just that sort of curler around the keeper uh, at the far post. So it's probably it's going to be good for his confidence to get off the mark. Oh, definitely, and I think you know we we go back to look at when new players have come to the club in the past. We're always a bit critical until they do something, um, and certainly the finish and the way uh, the ball that Henriks had made was magic, and uh, probably just showed that okay, this is what this guy's capable of, um, and we would just want to see some more of it. Uh, and I guess one player that we don't talk about enough, I think, on the podcast, who's I guess conspicuous by his absence from our discussions, given some of the uh, efforts last season from some of the men in his position, is Alan McGregor, who's had a fantastic start to the season despite the amount of goals we've conceded, because really it could be a whole lot more if uh, if not for McGregor. And he made another couple of great saves to start the game as well. I think there was one where Norwich were pretty much through on goal and, and he just sort of got his legs shut at the right moment to, to cut out the shot. And um, has, yeah, he's had a great start to the season. Look, he has, and and I think this probably sums McGregor up. When he's when he's your number one, he's good. Um, but when he's feeling pressure to retain that spot, um, whether the pressure gets to him a bit or not, I'm not sure. He uh, love him or hate him, we all know he's a quality keeper. Um, and it was only the fact that Jakubovic went on such a good run there when McGregor was injured that we always thought, well, McGregor's not the number one. But since the day he first came to the club, he has really been our number one, even with Marshall coming in. Again, it was only when McGregor was injured um, that Marshall was getting a show. So it doesn't surprise me that he's that good. I think probably it wasn't until I actually looked at the stats after the game and just saw how many shots Norwich had actually had um, and saves that he made and the way he... he, uh, held his own, um, he was probably deep down, he could have really been our man of the match. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you caught it as well, his pre-match interview where he was talking about Slutsky and, and how Slutsky can barely understand him because of his accent. Uh, I think they were, they were asking him about Slutsky's trip to Hull Fair and he sort of said, oh, didn't even text us, didn't, didn't see if we wanted to go with him. So it sounds as if he, he's always been one who I've thought it's probably shy is the wrong word because he's obviously got quite a bit of personality with uh, the Scottish heritage in him but he's never been one that I've seen in front of the cameras much he's never one who I've seen his personality come out much in interviews or things like that so it's kind of good to see little glimpses like that look it is and I mean deep down we know you know, he's a keeper and he's Scottish, so he's got to be crazy <laughs> in some way shape or form but I think, I think he's probably revelling in the fact that he's, he's got a bit of comfort and he is the man, um, and that's maybe letting him just be a keeper. Absolutely. Um, we'll move on then from the game and talk about some of the off-field stuff that's come out during the week. And I guess the main thing on the positive front, uh, at least to some extent, is the announcement that we're going to have a whole city, well, not in so many words, and it, I think it's officially called the Tigers Hall of Fame at this point in time. Hopefully that's rectified to include our full club name, but it's the whole city players and managers and, and everyone associated with the club's Hall of Fame. Um, I think they're sort of looking for nominations for uh, the inaugural positions in the Hall of Fame, and I think there's a panel including uh, Phil Buckingham, uh, Supporters Trust, Official Supporters Club, and the club itself. 
But I, I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on if there was to be, say, five inaugural nominations, two managers, three players. Who, who would be sort of the first names off the top of your head that you would you would say, are, you know, locks to be in the Hall of Fame? Um, well, I probably can't do it justice to name the, yeah, obviously the really <laughs> historical ones. Yeah, um, I, I, obviously, I, we know about Chilo and Waggy and, um, and uh, the golden era of the club, but probably, you know, the ones that are probably more relevant at the moment for me to actually make comment on would be uh, your Ian Ashby's, um, Dino, you know, in two stints. Um, Andy Dawson, perhaps? Look, Andy would be up there. Probably the only thing that, you know, as, as fans, we all love Andy Dawson, but it really comes down to whether this is a, a real serious Hall of Fame or whether this is just the EHAB PR spin mm. To try and keep the crowd or the the average punter thinking that oh well the heart is in the club, yeah. um, you know going by my history of Hall of Fames they're generally very bloody hard to get into, yeah. and uh, you you're generally only going to induct a, a, a very rare few. So I would think if this is probably a good sign to see how serious they actually are about it. Um, if they're going to have one, it should only literally be a couple of players, and it should be from a very uh, very long historical dive into how far back the club's actually been around for, not so much just the recent yeah. I mean, on that top, f- top two tiers. On that front, though, I mean, it's the, the interesting name that I think you could make a very strong argument either way on that point that you make would be Giovanni. And he had a very significant role, but it was a very, very short role in our history. Uh, obviously, you know, filling our highlights reel for Premier League goals. Um, you could make a case for him being in there as being the, the probably the best player, arguably, you could say, technically gifted in terms of his shots, in terms of the set pieces he took, and the influence that he had on that team and that rise that we had at the start of the 08-09 season. But then, like you've said, you could make the counterpoint of saying, well, he's not really a legend of the club. He was there for basically just a season and a half, really, um, and didn't have any sort of lasting impact. So you can go one of two ways with it, but what, what would be your take on, on someone like Giovanni? Um, look, he certainly is the most exciting player I think I've seen, and, and I've still got the Arsenal game and Arsenal goal recorded on my little Fox box at home that I still go back and watch after all this time, um, mainly for the, the crowd celebrations and just the goal. But um, I'd probably say the way I sort of test it is if we fast forward, you know, another 115 plus years, um, who would still hold their weight? And I think as, as good as he's been till now, Giovanni probably you'd expect us to have another Giovanni in our time. Yeah. But going from all of the records and all of the talk and listening to the guys on on um, BBC Humberside and, and obviously the Supporters Trust guys and everyone that you know that knows anything about the club still go on about the Waggy and Chilo stories and just going back that far, yeah. I think there's probably only literally going to be two or three from that era that can really be in it to start with. Um, I think probably Gio is just like he said. He's just the guy that was so so crucial and so important for us to stay up in that first season. But he really was only there for a limited amount of time. If it was going down to probably gifted players or, or technically gifted players or players that really were exciting, I mean, 
I still go back to when Okocha joined the club and he yeah. was, I mean, at Bolton, he just did things that you just never saw, you know, and here he is playing for us. I still still pinch myself that I, even that first game he came on, I still pinch the fact that he actually played for us because yeah. I had friends who actually thought, oh, you guys must be all right if you signed him. Um, little did they know at that stage, of course. But um, I think, yeah, I think if you're going to be a real, if this is really whether, if this Hall of Fame is worth a pinch of anything, it should be very bloody hard to come up with just two or three names to start it off. On the manager's front, it might be slightly more justifiable to include quite a recent name. But then, as you say, that would, this is going to be another test on how serious the Hall of Fame is and what sort of influence the owners of the club have on, on the names that get into it. But Steve Bruce would have to be almost the first manager in the Hall of Fame, I think, in the, in the sense that not only the sheer number of games that he managed for, so he wasn't just a flash-in-the-pan sort of manager, but also just the fact two promotions to the Premier League more than any other manager, our only automatic promotion to the Premier League, our only stint in Europe, FA Cup final, like the list essentially keeps going on in terms of his achievements as manager. Uh, and you'd have to make a very hard case to him not to be included. Yeah, look, you would. And um, I can't remember the stats, but yeah, I think he was, at one stage, he, he or when he left the club, he was the most successful manager of all time based on percentage of wins or something as well. Like, I couldn't remember if it was something like that. But um, look, probably for what it's meant to the club, uh, manager-wise, it, you know, again, I'd like to say that I'm not... I'm not that old, but I'm only <laughs> old enough to go back to the 80s, really. Um, uh, Steve Bruce has probably got to be a shoe-in to be the top three managers of all time. So there's your consideration there. Um, Aaron Joyce is probably another one. Right, with a bit of an Aussie influence at the moment, given his current stint. But he obviously kept us in the Football League itself uh, as both a player and manager. So he'd be another one that could be potentially uh, a manager considered for a spot. Yeah, look, and it's always hard with managers because it depends who the owner was at the time as well. I mean, we all know that what Peter Taylor did as a manager was, at that stage, unthinkable. Yeah. Um, but then you go back and say, well, okay, he, who he brought to the club and the ability for him to go and sign players with you know Adam Pearson's backing and that sort of thing. With no Adam Pearson, I don't think Peter Taylor goes anywhere near promotion. Yeah, so that's a good point. It, it's very, very hard. Um, look, for sheer frustration and putting up with just dickhead owners, Steve Bruce has got to be a shoe in. Um, and how he lasted as long as he did um, <laughs> with those two, two Muppets bloody breathing down his neck is, is, is beyond me. But um, yeah, look, it's always hard. And I think probably the only good thing, you know, knowing. A little bit about who's actually on on the panel here. Um, as long as it's got really good fan representation, that's where I think things can get lost. It's, it's not just a Hall of Fame statistically, but we all know what some of these people have meant to the club um, as supporters, and I yeah. think that's what it's all about. And I think the slight concern at this stage is the fact that the, the naming of the Hall of Fame as Tigers Hall of Fame has roughed a few favours, especially in the supporters' trust. So I think they're there at the moment... Uh, skating on thin ice in terms of their involvement and, and hopefully that can all get resolved and cleared up and uh, not have those sorts of issues unnecessarily muddying the waters on, on what should be a really special sort of um, event and um, setting for, for recognising great members of the club uh, present and past. Yeah, and I mean, I haven't seen who, who the actual 
panel is, but if it's not heavily weighted towards the supporters, um, then I always get a bit worried about the commercial aspect of it. Yeah. Um, look, the fact it's called Tigers Hall of Fame, again, just throws more fuel on the fire. And I honestly think that Ehab's got a chocolate wheel of ideas that he just throws a dartboard at and says, what, what can I piss the punters off with next? Um, but look, we can anything that probably takes the focus off a 96 minute equaliser is probably a good <laughs> thing at the moment. Uh, just as the only the only other off field uh, issue worth talking about this week, there was a, there was an interview with Ehab, which is quite interesting reading. But we, uh, we won't go into too much detail on that. It's there for people to read if they want. And the, the, some of some of the some of the quotes in there are, are quite simply absurd. Uh, but trying to take a more positive light uh, on on news this week, the, the financial accounts, uh, not going into too much detail because I don't want to bore people, but financial accounts were released overnight and obviously bodes well with uh, debt going down a little bit. But the one interesting point I did see, uh, which I, I thought was worth mentioning, was that the value of the squad on promotion was actually worth more than the value of the squad on relegation, which... I think has got to be almost a Premier League first, especially in this day and age, to essentially say that over the course of a Premier League season, two transfer windows spent in the Premier League, we've effectively weakened the value of the squad. And um, I just think that that's a very interesting uh, observation about the way that we handled that Premier League season. <laughs> I think you've been way too polite. <laughs> um, I think it probably, again, just points to the absolute utter shite attitude of two owners and I say two because they're both involved from the start there that if you go back over time and look at all the players that have been on our revolving door I can't remember us going out aggressively pursuing a gun player um, at a premium price um, at any stage um, in this new era you know where we've been up and down a little bit Steve Bruce performed miracles I reckon with the the budgets he was given um, I know he bought Huddleston and people will say yeah well we spent good money on Huddleston and Mason and so on but that's an expectation that every promoted club has got to have um, and especially with the last tilt into the Premier League all, all Huddleston was already with us you know they were championship players I think it just points to the fact that if you're running a business and your assets are actually getting reduced um then you've probably got a bit of a problem. Um, and especially, I think, we saw when Marco Silva came in, trying to buy a squad with loanees and you know, top-up solutions just shows really where the attitude of the owners is. And it has been about money since, since the ego landed. And um, it's probably going to be about that until we end up relegated to about the fourth tier and then no-one wants to buy the club and they walk away. Well, hopefully it doesn't get to that extent. Um, Wigan currently looking at getting bought by a Chinese consortium, I think, and they're in League One, so I think that puts paid to the uh, suggestion that being in the Championship, it makes us an unsellable club. But, oh, I actually think it makes us more sellable, mate. Yes. I think if anyone really is worth anything on the, on the assessment of clubs and the future of clubs, you've got a club that's been there and done it, um, tasted European football almost very briefly, and um, at right now would surely be half the price of what we were worth at the peak. Absolutely. Um, so why wouldn't you be jumping on? Because the model's almost guaranteed as long as you pull the egos out of it. 
And and I think it was a thirty-seven million pound profit or something like that we've just declared in the accounts. So the club, at least financially, is in a very very sound position. So it would be obviously be a very attractive um, purchase if the owners were actually serious about selling. And that, and that remains to be seen, I think. Um, but we'll move on to hopefully brighter topics in looking ahead to our game against Barnsley and another chance to put to bed this horrid run of away fixtures or away form. Um, we start these previews usually by talking about famous or well-known or memorable previous fixtures against the club, but I, I really can't put my finger on too many big games against Barnsley. I, I think the only game that really comes to mind was in that 2012, uh, sorry, 2012-2013 yeah, promotion season. I think we went to Barnsley where we could have really locked up uh, automatic promotion, and it was on that run of games where I think we, with Wolves and somebody else as well, where we either drew or lost to the teams and, and really sort of almost choked our way out of promotion places. But that's the only game that can really stick in my mind about playing Barnsley. Do you have any games that come to mind against Barnsley? No, not really. Um, Bit of a nothing club. Yeah, look, well, <laughs> I, I, those those that I know that it's obviously still in the UK, they still you know go on about some of the old rivalries and so on. And Barnsley often comes up but uh, I mean if the keywords memorable I can't remember any I remember getting very bloody frustrated a couple of times with Barnsley when we're in the lower divisions but nothing that springs to mind um, for this week anyway well they're sitting in they're sitting in 19th which actually surprised me a bit because I thought that they started the season a whole lot better than that and I I do think they had quite a good season last year from memory and they might have started this season okay but it's interesting that they find themselves below us in the table because I don't think there are many clubs that find themselves in that position. Um, I guess the big choice or the big talking point this week in terms of selection is who to come in for Myla, given that he's suspended. And I suppose that the obvious option is Kevin Stewart since he came off the bench to replace him. But Jackson Irvine played in the under-23s and got two goals. So he's showing he's got a bit of form and he knows where the goal is. And uh, he's also an option that could come into the side. Yeah, look, he is. And I mean, it's hard to say. Slutsky obviously rated him highly enough to, 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 to buy him. Um, and we'd obviously, from an Australian perspective, we know he can play and we know what he's like and we want him there. I think probably based on what we just saw on the weekend, um, Stewart might be a slightly better option. Um, I don't think Irvine's a player. I mean, we all know that Myler really just negates so well. Um and I don't know, I just felt like when, when Myler actually came off and, and Henrik said had a bit more room to move, um, it freed him up. And the only thing I thought there was obviously that Stuart, with the right instruction, could maybe give Henriksen that, that, that freedom um, that maybe Irvine would want to take up. We all know that Irvine loves to, loves to have a crack and, uh, and loves to get forward, but Look, who knows as well? It depends. We keep saying it week in, week out. We don't really know what the perfect formation actually yeah. is. And uh, the one thing that Slutsky's been able to do is when the chips are down, he's made some changes, he's pulled a few players across the park, and it's worked. Um, you know, the Birmingham game being a prime example. I just just don't know this week whether or not he says, these guys are bottom of ladder, we must kill them. You know, <laughs> let's let's throw five up front and have five in defence and just see how we go. So I think probably I would say, based on the fact that although Irvine scored a couple of goals, he was in the 23s, Stuart wasn't. 
yep. uh, in the 23s that you would assume that means he's obviously got the next next gig. Um, but then again, two goals. I know it's 23s. There's still some talent. Might be worth throwing him in. Uh, and then obviously also hopeful that Campbell can be fit. He picked up a knock against Birmingham. A bit concerning that just a pretty uh, innocuous knock kept him out for essentially two or three weeks. Um, I guess he's showing his age a little bit in that sense. But he's been in pretty good form for us. He was one of our best against Birmingham, and if we want to get a decent attack going, uh, he and Dicko up front could be quite a decent combination, actually. It certainly looks like that could be... Um, getting, especially getting into the back half of the year, defence is getting a bit tighter. You know, you're getting into games... 27, 28, right through. Those two really do excite me. And the fact that Dicko took his goal so well, he did show quite a bit there of what he can do. Um, Campbell, I think, just needs someone to maybe hold the ball up for him a little bit. We all know how well he works off the ball. I think it was the second and third game of the season or something there. I remember reading something about, you know, is Campbell actually going to be able to do it for us because he... Didn't seem to touch the ball a lot, but geez, the way he gets into position and and assists is 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 going to be gold come later in the season because you think of all the other squads in the league, they've all got a good striker or maybe a couple of fringe strikers, but we've got two or three guys here that are they, you know they they should be at Premier League clubs, they should be squad yep. players at Premier League clubs, and we've got them, so we should be able to maximise that. Well, a lot of people are saying Crystal Palace are a bit silly to let go of Campbell, given the fact that Benteke is now out injured and they actually don't have a recognised striker. I think they played Zaha in a false nine, though that clearly worked out pretty well for them against Chelsea. But just the fact that they've now got no fit strikers in the squad and they really shouldn't have let Campbell go. So it's a bit amazing in that sense that we've managed to pick him up on a free transfer. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's prime. We, we saw with Dino, even at his age, with a, with a reasonably programmed and well-drilled squad, you need a finisher. And Dino, even in his vintage years, was still good enough to get in the right spots and do the right thing. I mean, we all know that Campbell's effectively a bit of a superstar. You know, the guy's been at some of the biggest clubs there are. Um, Sure, not with great success, and he's always enjoyed more success with us than anyone. But why you would let a young... And I say young because he's not done yet, but a, a young at heart striker go. Um, with the, the only way you sell a striker these days is if you're getting offered ridiculous money. Yeah. Um, I certainly wouldn't be selling any of our strikers unless you were getting massive coin. That means you can get two replacements. Well, speak, speaking of uh, massive strikers, I mean, Hernandez talking about making a late charge for the playoffs. Hernandez potentially back in February could give us quite a bit of a platform heading into the final few months of the season. And I saw good news today that uh, Odebajo's tweeted out saying he's stepping up his um, physical recoveries and, and that he should be back playing at some point this season, uh, granted it all goes well. Oh, look, it'd be awesome news to, to get either one of them back. Um, I think probably the thing that concerns, especially with Odebajo's, you know, let's call it repeat injury. Um, I think they'd be crazy to rush him back at all. Um, in fact, it wouldn't surprise me if he's just kept in cotton wool until there's such a time where it's almost foolproof he can come back. But Hernandez has also got a point to prove. I'm not sure how long 
he's got left on his current contract. He'll be, uh, he'll be out of contract in the summer, so I think we'll yeah. want to try and make the most use of him that we can. And and look, he's not silly either. With what's been going on at the club in recent years, we, we've never been sure whether he really wanted to stay or not. Certainly the year we are in the championship last, he proved he can do it at this level. And if we could even have him for a month before before the end of the season ends, then he could be the difference between sneaking a playoff spot or not. Absolutely. Certainly, he's going to be pretty handy to avoid relegation, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I think if we can uh, climb up to the... If we can beat top half before he makes a comeback, that could give us a pretty decent chance of doing something late in the season. We've got, we've got a very good squad. It's all about them clicking, and, and I think... Birmingham was a game that we saw them click, and then obviously against Norwich didn't click quite so well. But there's a lot of promise in the squad. It's it's certainly not a bottom eight or bottom ten half squad. It's yeah. just about whether we can turn them into a top half team. All that worries me is we've talked a lot about obviously the first uh, under Phil Brown, the the first promotion season up to the playoff final, and what a run they had, and you know. We almost built that sort of fortress mentality around our squad that we couldn't be beaten. And all that worries me at the moment is how long it's going to take for us to get close to that because even on the weekend, just the Norwich game, that that could have been the catalyst, you know. Um, up against it, 10 men, pinching away, win 1-0. You beauty, let's move uh, to another away game that we should win. We've just won two away games on the bounce. What problem have we got? Yeah. But if we can't, we really are running out of time. I know there's still a lot of games left, but that gap gets to the point where you are having to really start beating top five teams to get anywhere near it. And we're just not near that level at all. Well, hopefully we can start that decent run uh, with a big win against Barnsley on the weekend and uh, set our sights from there. But uh, it'll be a big game, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how, how it pans out. So thanks for joining us. And I really... Uh, thanks, mate, and I'm going to go in a limb again. Yeah. We are, we are going to trounce them. Four zip. I uh, hope you're right on that one. I uh, could really do it. Oh, hang on. No, we're playing away, aren't we? Yeah, oh, we are. no. I better change that. Yeah, we'll beat them two zip. Two zip, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Much more realistic, okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> thanks for that, Brad. No worries, mate. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. Hopefully we get the three points, and uh, we'll see you back here this time next week. Until then, come on, City! You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group, or follow us on Twitter, at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back cause you're out